with us. It's a wonderful truth. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we'll be reading verses 41 through verse 48. Looking into this portion of the psalm tonight. David writes, verse 41, May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. So I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. I love what Robert Murray McShane said in connection with the word of God. He said, may the word of God become fire. Sanctification, but also inflame our love to the Lord. David here is praying. He has been praying. It's one of the things as you read through and study Psalm 119, you realize that a psalm so filled with the word of God is also very filled with prayer. He had prayed in verse 40, revive me through your righteousness. And now verse 41, may your loving kindnesses, plural, also come to me. He's desiring vitality in his life so that he can walk in God's law. And he's also desiring that God's, and he uses a plural here, loving kindnesses come to him. And he uses an equivalent phrase, I believe, in the latter part of the verse, your salvation. So God's salvation is the big picture, but in God's salvation, those loving kindnesses, those acts of loving loyalty. And there's a link, I believe, between that prayer and as he continues through the next seven verses. Verse 42, so, verse 43, and, verse 44, so, verse 45, and, verse 48, and, there's just a continuation of thoughts here. And as I I was trying to come to a theme for this section, understanding what David is saying. I just came with a title, and there's more than this, but you can see it in his prayer at the beginning. It's just simply longing for the loving kindnesses of God. Longing for the loving kindnesses of God. Again, a statement that's equivalent to salvation. God's work on his behalf. I Don't necessarily believe this has to do entirely with spiritual salvation, although 
Uh, we certainly wouldn't eliminate that because of the kinds of things that he's talking about. Some of the things that he's asking for is God to work in his life and for him to develop spiritual character and habits and so forth. David here, I believe in these verses, describes his life in terms of this longing. He desires that loving kindness of God to come to him. He wants to experience this. He is tested. I think you can see that from verse 42, where he has someone who is reproaching him or insulting him, or possibly the word taunt is uh, also a word that is used in English to translate that, that Hebrew word. So he's assaulted, tested. He is tested according to verse 43. Notice the way that he prays. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. The fact that he says utterly indicates that he is being tested. But even in the midst of that, he is waiting on God's word. He has a desire to keep, verse 44, God's law. He desires to seek, and he does seek, verse 45, God's precepts. He wants to speak about God's word without shame, verse 46. And he, I believe, forward-looking in verse 47, wants to delight in God's commandments and even welcome them. You look at verse 48. His testimony is that he loves them. He loves them. And as we conclude our study in this section tonight, just thinking about that repetition in verses 47 and 48, he says, which I love, which I love. David loves God's law. Do you love God's law? This is a heart that loves God's law that longs for God's loving kindness and is expressing that again in prayer. That's the whole context here. Verse 41, he is a praying believer. You can think of God's loving kindnesses to David throughout the course of his life. Obviously, his grace to him in saving him, bringing him to a knowledge of who Yahweh is, bringing him to a knowledge of his grace and mercy. David would have certainly enjoyed the loving kindness, forgiveness of God from that standpoint. But if you look at the loving kindnesses shown to people in Scripture, they are of all sorts. God rescued Lot's life by his loving kindness, Genesis 19, 19. It was through God's loving kindness that he directed Abraham's servant to Rebecca for Isaac. This was God's guidance given. That's a loving kindness of God. Jacob remarked on the loving kindness of God when he came back into the promised land. And he remembered that he had come to Laban's with only his staff in his hand, but now he's coming back with all of this wealth. And the thing that he most notes is the family that God had given him. God's loving kindnesses. Joseph was shown loving kindness in the prison by the keeper, which was a demonstration of God being with him, but showing him that loving kindness. The exodus was an act of God's loving kindness. His loving loyalty to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
some 400 years later brought those people out of the land of Egypt with all those plagues upon the Egyptians and brought them out and rescued them, that, Moses says, was an act of God's loving kindness. Moses pleads in Numbers 14 for God's forgiveness. And that would be an expression of his loving kindness. David and Jonathan covenants with David, that was an expression of the loving kindness of Jonathan, but ultimately from the Lord through Jonathan to David, as it protected David through the course of that time when Saul was chasing after him. We don't know exactly the timing of this psalm. It does seem that this is coming later in David's life. But David had received in 2 Samuel 7 the promise of God's loving kindness that would never be taken away from him. The promise of a dynasty, the promise of a throne, the promise of a seed who would come and reign over Israel forever in David's line. So God had promised the loving kindness uh, of uh, his loving kindness to David in at least that way. But David is not speaking of only one. He's speaking of many. And I've just listed some, but God has many expressions of his loving kindness. But David wants those. He wants to experience those in his life. He is at a point where I do believe he's being tested. Verse 42, he has someone who is reproaching him. And again, he's tested with some severity for him to say, do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. He's come to a place where he's, he's tested even in his ability to speak about the Lord because of the trial that he's going through. Notice that. He says, and do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. So it seems that David is speaking of, yes, God's salvation, but something that he's asking God to do in multiplied ways to show him his grace and his salvation, his kindness, according to, he says in verse 41, his promise or his word. And I think what David asks for here is an example for us, because you may have received the loving kindness of God's forgiveness, the loving kindness of God's salvation. You may have experienced the loving kindness of God's provision in a time of need, his strength in a time of trial, his help in persevering through some temptation. But do you ever pray for those things? You may have actually received those things without praying for them. God is so good, and he is so loving and loyal that he expresses his love to us even when we don't ask. But what if we do ask? And we ask God, show me your loving kindness, or may your loving kindnesses come to me. And we pray for strength, or we pray for grace in a time of need, or we pray for some provision, or we pray for perseverance, or we pray that God would keep us from looking to the world. We pray for forgiveness. Will God hear those prayers? Yes, he will. And what will that do when he answers those prayers? Well, what it would do for David is it will give him encouragement. It would give him an answer to the ones who are taunting him. And I want you to notice 
that when he experiences this loving kindness, he now has an answer for those who are taunting him or who are reproaching him. The connecting word there is verse 42, so. When God's loving kindness has come, when his salvation comes according to his promise, he then has an answer or a reply to the ones who are saying to him, where's your God? What's your God doing for you? Is your God doing anything for you? Now, David, we could trace through the Psalms and see that David did have enemies who taunted him, who scorned him, who despised him. Ahithophel did this to David near the end of his life when, of course, Absalom took the throne and Ahithophel, one of his closest friends, spoke against David and acted against David. He disgraced David by his actions. You may have earthly enemies who do that. We certainly have a spiritual enemy who accuses us and acts against us and even poses the question to our mind, where's your God? Where's your God? Does your God love you? Does he love you at all? If you're going through this circumstance, how could he love you? But when God's loving kindness comes to us, when he does provide in some way, when he does give strength, when he does give you help not to give in to some temptation, then you have an answer. Remember the day that David was... With his men, he had been dismissed from the service of the Philistine who was going against the Israelites. The Philistines had recognized that David could defect and change sides during that battle. And so David and his men had to leave. And when they left, they came back to their homes and nothing was left. It was all burning. Their wives, their children had been taken. And David in the midst of that circumstance, having led his men into that battle, now he's having to deal with men who want to kill him. But the scripture says there that David encouraged himself in his God. And he sought the Lord's guidance. He told Abiathar, please bring me the ephod. And as the ephod came and David inquired of the Lord, he asked the Lord, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And here's God's loving kindness to him. Pursue, for you will surely overtake them and you will rescue all. At a point where his leadership is threatened, where his men are wanting to kill him, where his wives, Abishag and Abigail, I believe, were both taken from him, his children, all the wives of his men and their children were taken, and now here's God's loving kindness. You can pursue and you will overtake. And if you remember that story, as David and his men took off, they met an Amalekite who had been discarded by his master, and he told David where this troop was and where all of the spoil or all the wives and children were. And the scripture says that David, verse 18 of 1 Samuel 30, recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back, all back. 
And boy, did David have an answer at that point for his men. Boy, did David, in his experience, see the loving kindness of God. He saw the salvation of God. And he had trusted in God's word, and God had brought his word to pass. And when God brings his word to pass and gives you some, I hate to say tangible, because sometimes God doesn't always do something that's tangible that we can see, but God does something definite that you experience, you then have cause to be able to speak to anyone who says, where's your God? I'll tell you where my God is. This is what he did for me. This is what God did for me. If you look through David's life, really look through anybody's life who knew the Lord in Scripture, they have reason to praise the Lord. This is what the Lord did for me. I was amazed as I was thinking about verse 42, connection with our Savior, because, of course, they were taunting him. Even as he was taken to the cross, they were taunting him while he was on the cross. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also along with the scribes and elders were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified with him are insulting him and disgracing him. And we know Jesus resolved in his purpose would not come down from the cross. But that was the question. Where's your God? Are you the son of God? You're not the son of God. How could you be the son of God and go through what you're going through? And of course, our Lord, perfect patience, perfect patience went through all of that abuse and scorn, lifted himself up to God, committed his soul to God, died, was laid in a tomb, borrowed tomb, and yet there was vindication. When he was raised from the dead, there was vindication. There was the loving kindness of the Lord. There were Loving kindnesses in raising him, not only raising him to then fellowship again with his disciples, but raising him to the very throne of heaven in the ascension. God had said to Christ, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That was the promise of the throne, the promise of fulfilling that dynasty. And Jesus himself was a recipient of the loving kindnesses of his father. So do you ever pray for the loving kindnesses of God? May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. And part of what's going through David's mind and on his heart is he does want to speak for God. You see that in verse 43, where he says, do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Verse 42, he had said he wanted a reply to the one who reproaches him and how hard is he tested? I think, again, that word utterly indicates that he's going through something that has brought the flow of truth from his mouth to a low ebb. He's just not able to say all that he would like to say 
all that he knows is true, but because of the extremity of his trial, he's just not speaking. And so he asks, and this is a biblical prayer. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Now, it's possible that someone could go through a time of testing, and that testing results in that circumstance in their heart. The truth is still in their heart. They still believe, but for whatever reason, they don't, they just don't talk. They don't say all that maybe they used to say before they went through the experience. And I just ask you, have you ever struggled to speak God's word to others? Now, that obviously could be God's plan for someone. Elijah was told to go and hide himself. His plan for Israel during that time was for Elijah not to speak to Israel. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. What about when you come to a sense of your own hypocrisy? You just are alerted to your hypocrisy in the things that you say, but you don't do. Anybody else there? Right? Remember Peter? Peter, when he denied the Lord, and all he could do was go out and weep bitterly, and when the Lord did come to him in the resurrection, and he started asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter couldn't get the words out of his mouth. He did say, I love you, but he didn't say what Jesus said. We, we, as we study that passage, realize there's different words going on. Peter's not quite willing to say and claim as boldly as he had before that he loved the Lord really with that kind of exclusive love. Could be hypocrisy. It could be the result of deep sorrow or discouragement. Psalm 30, verse 10, hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. So God had changed the circumstance in such a way that where before there was mourning, where before there was sackcloth, where before there was silence, now there's praise, effusive praise coming out to the Lord. And he says, oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. There are times where we don't speak because of our frustration with the wicked. I think that was David's experience in Psalm 39. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. He says, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good. Just didn't want to talk. So frustrated. And obviously, I don't know that this is, I don't believe this is necessarily David's experience here. But, you know, sometimes sin just shuts our mouth. Not just hypocrisy, but sin. Someone falling into sin, living in sin just keeps them from talking, certainly talking about the Lord. Remember what David 
said in Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sin, all the experience that he went through. So what empowers me or you to speak God's word to others? In any one of those circumstances, well, it's the loving kindnesses of the Lord. When, when God comes and he alleviates that circumstance that you're going through by his grace and by his kindness and by his goodness. In some cases, it's just forgiveness. In some cases, it's encouragement. In some cases, it's just a reminder that, yes, you're a sinner, but there's still forgiveness. And God has called forgiven sinners to speak for him. A pastor is leading God's people, but he's just a forgiven sinner. We're brothers and sisters. We're all flesh and blood. So God in his loving kindness comes and he shows that grace. And that is a part of opening up a person's mouth again. Notice what he says, do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for, I hope in, is another way to translate that, your ordinances. David is waiting on God's direction, God's instruction. That's what David's desire is, and he doesn't want to be silent about those things. So he is hopeful. He's hopeful that his love for God's word, his waiting upon God's word, his hope in God's word will be a part of his future. He doesn't want to be silent forever. And I just ask you in connection with things that I just said in scripture passages in this verse, is there something that has closed your mouth? I don't know that I can always answer that for other people. Sometimes I can't answer it for myself. Sometimes my struggle is that I get so discouraged, I don't really want to preach. Sometimes I want to go and hide and leave all the talking to someone who is more gifted or more dynamic or whatever. I have to recognize that it really doesn't matter what gifting I have, if the Lord has called me to do it, I need to do it. If this is what he's gifted me to do, I need to do it. And when I do it, and I could say this of myself, that when I speak for God, especially in front of people, that is God's grace. It's not my strength, it's his so afraid to speak in front of people in high school, I would tremble, shake. I skipped freshman speech thinking I, I don't know what I was thinking. I eventually would have had to take it. But my freshman year, I, per, I did not take it because I was so afraid to get up in front of people. The Lord gave me an opportunity in school where the next year where I had to take the class, I also had to speak in front of my whole class. It was like the Lord just said, that's enough, time to, time to grow up, time to experience my grace to help you get up and speak to God's people. And I could say, if he had not done that, 
I would not be here. I would not be doing what I'm doing. God opened my mouth. And I'm thankful that he did. Because it is a way that I serve him. And really, it's a way that all of us serve him as we open our mouths. Right? We preach the gospel. We speak the truth to one another. So if we're walking around sort of silent, maybe giving each other greetings and talking about little things here and there, that's really not ministry, not the kind of ministry that God purposes for us. So I just want to encourage you, you really do have a ministry to your fellow believers when you gather with them on the Lord's Day. Encouraging one another. Speaking truth to one another, whether it's in a formal testimony time or in another time, we have an opportunity to bless one another with our words. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances, David says. David's experience of the loving kindness of God would enable him to speak and to keep on speaking. Look at verse 44. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Another thing that the Lord's loving kindness would do for David would, would, would be that it would motivate his continual obedience and even to eternity. Notice he says that. So I will keep your law continually and then an elaboration beyond just this life, he says, forever and ever. One translation has it, then I will keep your law continually now and for all time. Or the Greek translation, the Old Testament would be translated, I will keep your law always unto the age and unto the age of the age. Spurgeon said in his golden alphabet on this verse, nothing more effectively secures a person to the way of the Lord than an experience of the truth of his word exemplified in the form of mercies and deliverances. So as David experiences the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God, the loving loyalty of God, it confirms him in his path. It enables him to keep on and to keep on keeping on and to resolve, I'm always going to live this way. I always want to do your will. I don't ever want to quit. I want to do your will forever. He says, I will keep. Again, it's important to remember, he's not talking about perfect obedience. Keeping refers to guarding. So if you don't guard what is being attacked effectively, there may be some damage, but you're guarding it. So you're not just going to give in. If there has been an effective attack, you're going to get back up and try to guard it again. And I think that's the sense whenever you see that word keep in the context of obeying God's law, it's not that we perfectly obey God's law, but we are keeping it and we seek to keep it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus wasn't calling them to perfect obedience. He was calling them to guard his commandments. And as they guarded God's commandments, there were sometimes, obviously, they would fall and they would fail. But that doesn't mean they'd give up. That doesn't mean they would quit. 
David says, so I will keep your law continually forever and ever. John Calvin, as he commented on this verse, suggested that David, in connection with this resolution, was not only resolving to keep God's law, but to study it in order to keep it. He says he resolves to devote himself to the study of the law, not only for a short time, but even to the termination of his life. And obviously, if you're going to keep God's word, you do need to know it. You need to know what it says. It's difficult to obey something that you don't know and you don't study and you don't meditate on. And so there's a reminder here that one who keeps God's law continually really needs to be in it continually. The blessing comes not from the person who just says that he loves God's word, but the person who actually meditates in it. That's what Psalm 1 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What's the blessing like? Well, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, the psalmist says, he prospers. He prospers. David here is seeking the loving kindness of God. And that loving kindness and salvation, when it came to him, would change his life in the present. It would change his life as he continued through life. Even, as he says here, to the end of his life and even in eternity, when God perfects us and changes us completely, what will we be doing? We'll be obeying God, pleasing God, seeking God, doing his will perfectly and forever. There's much more in this section of the psalm. We will look at it another time. But I just want to encourage you, what has the Lord spoken to you about tonight, whether through testimonies, through the songs we've sung, maybe something else today, or maybe in the message tonight. And I want to encourage you to just respond to the Lord. The Lord's convicted you about something. He's dealt with your heart about something. Anytime God's word is preached or taught, there ought to be a responsiveness. We ought to respond. May the Lord help us all tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we pray that your loving kindnesses would come to us. Not only so that we would have an answer to the one who may taunt us, but Lord, that we would continue to speak for you, that we would continue to obey you in our life. When we see your hand at work in our life, Lord, and we know that no one else but you could have done that, we are given encouragement. We're strengthened in our heart. And so, Lord, we do pray that your loving kindness would come to us, that your salvation would come and minister to us according to your promises. And we pray that you'd sanctify us. And we pray that you'd use us for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.